And now our scripture lesson, our first scripture lesson, there'll be a second one later in the message. But this from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bags of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Three weeks ago, we sat out on this avenue to Advent and pointed to the opening phrases of a well-known Christmas hymn as our road markers. Hopefully our time together has been helpful as we have moved rapidly through the busyness of this holy season. And sometimes it's just so hectic. And this year with the pandemonium of a pandemic layered on top of everything, it's been very different, very crazy. How is it that the most wonderful time of the year, as the song says, even in normal days leaves us often irritable and exhausted? It's my prayer that these Advent services and the other activities that we've been able to maintain here at Noon and First have somehow helped to lighten your load and have not served to increase your burden. On November 29th, first Sunday of Advent, we centered our thoughts around the phrase, there's a song in the air. The good news of God's love, mercy, and grace is always there, always around us, and we have only to put ourselves in a position, in a place to hear it. Our best listening post, so to speak, is marked caring and serving. All about me kind of folks. And that's all of us sometimes, isn't it? When it's all about me, we have a hard time when we're in that mode, in that fashion of hearing the song in the air. And then on December the 6th, the second Sunday of Advent, we turned our eyes toward a star in the sky. It was an unusual star that led the Magi to the place where the infant Jesus was. The child was and would continue to become and would always be the light of the world. That light shines in the darkness and it shines brightest where the darkness is greatest. And tomorrow, in fact, will be the longest night of the year. Last Sunday, December 13, we opened our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear our mother's deep prayer. Mary was a woman of prayer whose firstborn gave her ample opportunities to flex her prayer muscles. Do our children ever, ever reach a point on the spectrum of their development when they no longer need our prayers? For we no longer need to pray for them. Do we ever reach that place where our children are not on our hearts and in our prayers? And I don't believe we ever do. Not yet. Today, the fourth phrase 
of the song provides a gathering place for all of our hopes and dreams, for all of the hopes and dreams and fears of this sacred season and for the totality of our lives. There's a song in the air, a star in the sky, a mother's deep prayer, and for today, a baby's low cry. On many, many levels, we do acknowledge that Christmas is all about the baby. But truth be told, we sometimes rush through these December days and get so distracted that we act as if it's about everything else, everything but the baby. If I might paraphrase, the older grandfather in the Airtran commercial, and goodness, it may have been a decade or so, you remember the commercial where he's running down the sidewalk with the baby in his arms saying, don't forget the baby. And the baby of which we speak during this holy season is not just any baby. All babies need changing frequently, someone said. But this baby changes everything. Singer, songwriter, Faith Hill expressed it like this. You may be familiar with the music. Let me just share a few of the lyrics with you. I think they're so appropriate. We're talking about the baby. She said, teenage girl, much too young, unprepared for what's to come, a baby changes everything. Not a ring on her hand, all her dreams and all her plans, a baby changes everything. The man she loves, she's never touched. How will she keep his trust? A baby changes everything. And she cries. She has to leave, go far away. Heaven knows she can't stay. A baby changes everything. She can feel he's coming soon. There's no place, there's no room. A baby changes everything. Shepherds all gather round up above the star shines down. A baby changes everything. Choirs of angels sing glory to the newborn king. A baby changes everything. Hallelujah. My whole life has been turned around. I was lost, but now I'm found. A baby changes everything. The poet Anne Williams arranged her words like this to speak of that baby. The child who changes everything. She wrote, each year, the child is born again. Each year some new heart finally hears, finally sees, finally knows love. And in heaven there is great rejoicing. There is a festival of stars. There is a celebration among the angels. For in the finding of one lost sheep, the heart of the shepherd is glad. And Christmas has happened once more. The child is born anew. And one more knee is bowed. To bow the knee. Often leads to bowing the head and the heart, and that means new priorities and new allegiances. This baby changes everything. Of course, every baby changes some things. Consider the stories we've been told regarding our own births, and consider the things we remember about the births of our children and grandchildren, and for some of you, great-grandchildren. Was anything ever the same? After that baby came along, 
But this baby, Mary's firstborn, born in a stable, not in a birthing suite in a modern hospital. This baby, even now, says the poet, we simply do not expect to find a deity in a stable. Somehow the setting is all wrong, the swaddling claws too plain, the manger too common for the lights of a savior, the straw inelegant, the animals reeking and noisy. This baby changes everything. Once again, who is this baby? Perhaps John's gospel can shed a little more light on this for us about who this baby is, this most incredible of all subjects. And I want you to hear a few words now from John chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 5 and then verses 10 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the light was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then with verse 10 and following, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who are born not of blood or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of John does not have a nativity, a birth story, as Luke does, not a manger story, but it does have a hymn to Christ. And it does not have a birth story such as in Matthew who speaks of Emmanuel. But the Gospel of John says that the one conceived by the Holy Spirit would be the Son of God, but says it in very poetic language, that in him was the Word of God, and God chose to dwell in Him, and to dwell among us in flesh, incarnate. The Gospel of John does not say that God's Son was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, but does say that the revelation of God in Jesus was concealed, if not hidden, veiled in flesh. As Charles Wesley would say, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, held the incarnate deity. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and lived among us. That sums up the Christmas story. That's always appropriate. That's a marvelous way of saying this in the prologue of John's Gospel. In whatever way in time the eternal Word came to the world, only to have the door slammed in unbelief, it is now clear and a new and marvelous move has been made. The Word has come in flesh, like us to live among us, to make God known to us. This is God's way. This is John's way of telling Luke's manger story and Matthew's Emmanuel story. 
For a moment now, I want to go back to John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Judaism held that God created the world through speech or word. God spoke everything that is into being, and it's no accident that in John 1.1, a portion of Genesis 1.1 is repeated. So important was word and Judaism's understanding of God and, and God's way of dealing with the world. Sometimes the writers refer to God's word not only as an entity distinct from God and doing God's work, but as a personification of God, doing God's work in this world, a separate being in a sense. It's this expression of God's creating and sustaining and reconciling power that became flesh, that became incarnate in Jesus the Christ. That's who this baby is. Something almost too marvelous to imagine, beyond our intellectual ability to comprehend. In his 1970, I'm sorry, 1963 devotional book, The Word Became Flesh, E. Stanley Jones asked the question, did God have to become human to show God's self? Wasn't there some other way, a less expensive way, a less humiliating way? Well, there are a number of ways, he says, that God might reveal God's self. God can reveal God's self through nature, but not perfectly. God can reveal God's self through prophet and teacher and sage, but not perfectly, for the medium of revelation is imperfect. And the message coming through that imperfect medium partakes of the imperfection. Besides, it is the word become word, verbal. Then there's the method of revelation through a book. And we must be grateful for every word which has come down to us through a book. Grateful, but not satisfied. If you are to see God face to face, he says, you must see God in the face of Jesus Christ. For Jesus is God approachable, available, simplified, and lovable. The Word has become flesh. That's who this baby is. The Word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. According to another writer whose works I greatly appreciate, incarnation means this. It is untheological, unsophisticated, undignified. But according to our Christian faith tradition, it is the way things are. All religions and philosophies which deny the reality or the significance of the material or the fleshly or the earth form are themselves denied. Moses at the burning bush was told to take off his shoes for the ground on which he stood was holy ground. And incarnation means that all ground is holy, holy ground, because God not only made it, but God walked on it, and God slept on it, and God worked on it, and God died on it. If we are saved anywhere, we are saved here. And what is saved is not some diaphanous distillation of our bodies and our earth, but our bodies and our earth themselves. Jerusalem becomes the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. Our bodies are so perishable and raised 
imperishable. Someone said that one of the blunders religious people are particularly fond of making is the attempt to be more spiritual than God. We'll talk about that more at a later time. And a baby slow cry, the hymn writer said. And I think sometimes back to another hymn when we sing off and away in a manger. And there's that one line in that hymn that always causes me to smile just a little bit. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He was a baby in the flesh. All babies cry. That's who this baby is. God in the flesh, that's who. But like all babies, he didn't stay that way. He grew up thanks to loving parents and a heavenly father who watched over him. Do you recall the morning of a dream, Joseph taking Mary and the baby and fleeing to Egypt to escape the tyrant Herod who destroyed so many innocent children that this baby's life might be saved. But grow up, Jesus did. I picture him preaching and teaching and healing. I picture him suffering and dying and rising, ascending into heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to be present with us. And I picture him reigning forever and ever as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This baby has become the one who calls us to serve, who makes real life-altering demands on us, who tells us, take up your cross and follow me. Oh goodness, sometimes we want to keep a little baby because babies are cute and sweet and, and we love all the sentiment around Christmas. But he grew up, suffered on a cross, told us to take up a cross. Who has a right to make those kinds of demands for us? Only Jesus. There's a baby's low cry. We've talked about who this baby is, the where, when, and how has been discussed to some extent, and that leaves us with the why question. Why was he sent? And I can't find a better way to answer the why question than in the telling of this short story. You've probably heard it a thousand times. Some of you will remember Paul Harvey, who had a radio show called The Rest of the Story. He told this story. This is his version. There are many versions out there. We're thinking about the why now of God becoming a baby. Why this baby? Just hear the story, if you will. It's short. Now, the man to whom I'm going to introduce you was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man. Generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other people. But he just did not believe all that incarnation stuff which churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a mortal. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife. But I'm not going to you, not going with you to church on this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home. But he would wait up for them until they got home. So he stayed and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. 
and then back to his fireside chair, and he began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another thud and a thumping of sword. And at first he thought, someone must be throwing snowballs at his living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in a desperate desire for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large picture window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures just lie there and freeze, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm and a safe place if he could direct the birds into the barn. So he put on a coat and his boots and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the door, he turned on a bright light, but the birds did not come in and he figured food would entice them, so he made a trail of food into the barn and they still would not come in. They ignored the crumbs. They continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried to catch them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them and waving his arms. And instead, they scattered in every direction except the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. So then he reasoned, I'm a strange and a terrifying creature. If only I could let them know they can trust me. I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made would frighten them, confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be chewed into the barn because they feared it. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language, and I could tell them, don't be afraid. I could show them the way to the safe, warm, safe warm barn, but I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. He stood there listening to the bells, a destiny for Dallas, listening to the bells, feeling the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.